My guest today is musician and producer Dave Kersner, who we've had on the show before when he was with the band Sound of Contact. He's back to talk with us about his new solo album, a prog epic masterpiece called New World, and we're happy to have him back. Hey man, how's it going? Good, how are you doing? Good. So, uh, man, you've been you've been busy. I can't imagine all the stuff you're dealing with right now. Yeah, it's crazy. Right? Still wrapping up the deluxe edition, so... So, last time we spoke, you were... I mean, I think you had just it finished a, like a early mix of Stranded, and I'm not sure how much of the album you even had other than that at that point. Yeah, at that time, I had most of the tracks for the standard edition, the main version of the album written already and recorded in some form, but uh, not completed with all the tracking. I probably had most of the drums recorded by then and a lot of the guitars and keyboards, maybe not all the vocals. That was one of the last things to add, the final vocals. I had demo guide vocals, but, you know, just to kind of have a sense of the song. But I kept revising the lyrics because I take them very seriously and wanted everything just right so it's, it's taken me almost a year <laughs> right <laughs> do, really well let me let me backtrack just a little bit and get you know sort of set up the the lay of the land here with everything for anyone who doesn't know the the album is now out right officially sort of December 9th I think was the date um, and so where uh, you, it was a Kickstarter campaign that now you had the digital out where are you in terms of digital versus the physical and there's a deluxe uh, release coming so how is that all right now okay here's the overview of the whole craziness right um, yes I used Kickstarter to fund the making of my album because I did it independently without a record label I used my own label called rec play right and um, so uh, we were very successful with the campaign it, it brought in nearly 200 percent of its intended goal and uh, which was a good thing because I even went over that <laughs> since I'm a very extravagant uh, producer and, and just went all out on this thing. The CD is out, by the way. It's just out today, in fact, so it ships tomorrow, the main CD. Right. Uh, the deluxe edition is this expanded version I was talking about. That's where I, what I'm immersed in now. Um, and But because of the Kickstarter campaign, there had to be... The way it works, for anyone who's not familiar, is uh, it's a... It's called crowdfunding. Basically, uh, people, anybody, uh, listeners, uh, fans, friends, family, uh, who want to support a project such as a music project like an album or anything else. There's all sorts of things on there. Uh, And you don't really donate exactly. You buy something and there's these items on a list to buy at various prices to, you know, justify the expense because it's nothing you get back in return you just get a product back essentially so I put together all these fancy deluxe packages with different things uh, uh, to give different price points so that people could uh, contribute more significantly and, and get something significant back as opposed to just the album which normally sells for let's say ten dollars on iTunes as a download right. or a little over twice that as a CD shipped to you but um, you know this was like well okay let's do a double CD and instead of doing just a double CD with the main one and a bunch of extras I kind of asked I was very interactive I'm, I'm a interactive 
musician artist, you know, anyway, I, I'm, I'm uh, on social media and especially Facebook. Yeah, absolutely. Just, you right. know, talking to people. And, and I just asked, I said, well, what would you prefer? I said, because I'm into both ideas of just having an extra CD with all the outtakes. But it just so happens that the outtakes were part of this story because it was a concept album. The other option was to make an extended version of the album. And it was an interesting thing because, um, you know, where, where literally it was like a, uh, the album with extended songs and additional songs all in the order of a, a concept album, like an alternate reality, kind of like in a movie where you have, let's say, a movie like Lord of the Rings, and then you get the DVD with the extended version with extra footage, but it's it's put into place of the movie as opposed to deleted scenes at the end or something. It's those two approaches, but right. in album. And everyone was like way into the deluxe version, which with it done where it's extended. Uh, and so that was an interesting sort of, I guess, marketing test in a sense, because, uh, and maybe from the... Um, background of having done Dimension on uh, and it being such a favorite amongst certain progressive rock fans and them knowing how much I was involved in that I think there was a, just a built-in confidence that it was like yeah man do the deluxe and everyone most people actually that was the most popular item more than the regular album well you know you know what being a, a, a sort of a, a deluxe edition junkie myself right <laughs> with all of this so all these bands um, that that put out stuff, the Transatlantics and Neil Morris and Steve Wilson and you know whoever, um, I think that sort of uh, helped fund the genre in a sense. From my perspective, I think that that's this is a captive audience that knows, hey, we're not going to get this stuff anywhere else. We're not going to get this on the radio. It isn't that kind of thing. We want the more the more you can give us, the better. We're we're ready to pay. We're ready to own it. You know what I mean? And I think that's been one of the really cool things that has come out over the last few years, at least from what I've seen. That is one of the things that I love about the prog genre, the progressive rock genre, is that songs are expected to be longer, uh, more embellished productions, grandiose, pretentious, right. you know, uh, alternate versions, very um, collectors, uh, music aficionado oriented. And so... Uh, it, that's great because for me, I, I'm you know I'm I'm into that as well as a listener. I like alternate versions and I even like you know demos and all those things. But I especially love the idea of let's say the premise of there being an album that I like and then some vision for an expanded version. I think what happens most of the time and has happened in the past anyway is a band puts out an album like let's say Dark Side of the Moon or whatever it is. And they're just putting out their latest album. They have no idea how it's going to be received yet. They're just putting it out. And then years later, I mean, not every band puts out an album like that, but, you know, but years later, maybe, uh, like, let's say, OK Computer from Radiohead. Um, they put, put out a deluxe version later because it's such a favorite. And the deluxe version has the outtakes. It has a second, the whole sort of deleted scene, second disc thing. And it's really cool. I love it. Um, but maybe at the beginning when they made that record, it would uh, to me it would have even been cooler if the whole record was like extended the way that that I approached New World, and you just had like longer pieces of the songs that you liked, and um, additional songs in between, and segues, and 
and all that. It was like the big OK computer. As you know, opposed, that's sort of that fine yeah. line, right? That that bands walk with the record label, especially when you're maybe a Radiohead. It's a little different, but uh, most bands, if left to their own devices, would put everything on every album with the longest version of everything <laughs> they could, right? So you have that's, to sort of watch yourself at times. But like you said, in this genre, that that's almost thrown out the window. You can just go for uh, go for it all. It, it's easier. You know, it's funny you mention record labels because you're right. I've even seen cases where the record label in this genre wanted to cut things down or take tracks out of albums and stuff like that. So it's like, yeah, I think when you're talking about, let's say, people on the business side, to a certain extent, I mean, you know, there's obviously a, a business angle that, like you said, Stephen Wilson, for instance, I know he's told me personally that those deluxe editions help fund his touring. Uh, and uh, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. So, you know, from a business standpoint, there is an angle to this more concept. But I think typically, uh, you, yeah, you'll get some opposition. Like, okay, we need to cut this down and make it more, you know, radio friendly or cut, concise or whatever the angle is. Um, but uh, but yeah, when you're independent, that much more you could just you know that's one of the beautiful things about being independent is you do what you want. And this is what I wanted to do. I mean, I was okay with either, but I really was leaning toward that. And my justification was everyone saying that that's what they wanted. And so, so that's what it is. Getting back to your original question, uh, there's the standard edition, which is a single CD. That's the main version of the album. It's a full jam-packed CD of 78 minutes. The download version of that is available now. It's been available since December 9th on iTunes. Uh, and it's actually not up on Amazon yet because Amazon had a little bit of a problem uh, getting digital releases going for, during the holiday season, which is amazing to me. But I've wild. been told it's going to be up any day now, so we'll see. But they're, you know, they're not uh, getting that together yet, so we'll see. But uh, it's been available from my website, DaveKersner.com. Uh, my Bandcamp, pa Bandcamp page, which is actually uh, under the banner of Sonic Elements. <clears throat> which is my Sonic Reality production uh, outfit uh, where I do tribute albums and other things. So I just I put everything under Sonic Elements on Bandcamp so there's one sort of store to get all my digital releases that I'm putting out in, uh, this year and next year. Um, and then digitally, you get a higher quality version there. You get the PDF liner notes with the lyrics and everything. So it's, it's a nice option. You know, Some people just want the convenience of buying from iTunes. Some people want a higher quality version and you can get it from Bandcamp. I think it's a great site for that. Yeah. I want to jump into musically a little bit because, you know, we could talk forever on, on all this stuff for sure. sure. Um, you know, musically, you cover so much territory. There's a lot of influences that you kind of pick out at certain points and, and definitely the sound of contact vibe, you know, from, from your, your work there. You can hear that as well. Did you know, though, that you sound a at times a lot like David Gilmore singing I mean that's it's really like amazing at certain points well um, I started to realize and people were telling me that um, in fact when uh, we were working on Dimension there's some songs I demoed up uh, with me singing and then sometimes you know it was like let's say a song I wrote and I, I was presenting it to Simon and Matt or uh, Kelly and and it was like, well, here, here's the song, and, and then I would just sing it. And uh, Closer to You was one of them, and I sang it 
And Matt said to me, he's like, you know, you sound a lot like Dave Gilmore, man. <laughs> I'm like, I do? Like, it hadn't even really, like, actually occurred to me. And so, um, but uh, as, I mean, I love Pink Floyd. And uh, I, I love the lyrics of Roger Waters from the 70s Pink Floyd albums, like Wish You Were Here and Dark right. Sun and, and, you know, The Wall. And, uh, and I like the... In general, I like a lot of British rock too. I like I love John Lennon and Paul McCartney, and the Beatles, and you know all sorts of stuff. Yes, Genesis, Peter Gabriel. Um, so that's kind of my I gravitate toward that style of lyric writing and, and melody writing and phrasing. So it just comes out that way, and it just so happens that my voice is is that sort of kind of husky mid uh, range sound. So, uh, you know, and then obviously, uh, you know, in certain cases, I'll, I'll go a little more toward that. Like in Stranded, for instance, I had Durga McBroom from Pink Floyd, and we got a little Floydy with it in certain spots. Not sure. the whole thing, but, you know, as a, uh, you know, a tip of the hat homage a little bit to, uh, you know, some of my heroes. But, uh, but I, I do it in a way that comes naturally to me. So it's almost like I, it's not very intentional. It's just sort of after the fact, like a production decision, like, oh, you know, actually, let's, you know, maybe go a little more Gilmore-esque on this. And it's no different, actually, than I would say to a drummer, you know what, play that fill like a, like a Ringo or a Bonham kind of groove or a fill. Right. Or, you know, the guitar player, do something bluesy like Clapton or, or, or Gilmore. I mean, we use, you know, these styles as references and then, ideally make them our own and that's kind of how I I, I really kind of meld some stylistic influences from both Gilmore and actually Roger Waters as well and, and other others like Peter Gabriel and some of my other favorite singers uh, and only to the extent that it suits my voice really right no it, it all works really well I know that you are a, a big collector of keyboards I've seen the collection you have a ton of vintage uh, Genesis uh, keyboards and things that were used on you know super famous albums and all that how much of that stuff was used throughout the recording and did you let yourself kind of play with those toys you have there on, on certain parts of the album you know uh I it did. I did. I love vintage keyboards, and um, but the song is the most important thing. I love to play with toys, and you know, part of me wants to just sit down with Fernando and some other musicians and actually start songs just playing with toys. Because <laughs> <clears throat> happy accidents happen, and sure. you can really. Get, but I didn't approach the album like that. This album. Um, this album was done mostly written from the piano or the guitar at first, and it worked as a melodic piece of music. And then it was about production and adding the flavors that I wanted, whether it was from other musicians playing or me turning on a Prophet 5, an analog synthesizer that Tony Banks and Peter Gabriel used, uh, or a Minimoog, which Rick Wakeman and Richard Wright used, or an EMS synthy, which Pink Floyd used. You know, I would pull out and CP70s, certain, uh, and World just th these are instruments that I have uh, around me that I love to just look at and play, and it's art to me, it's history. But, you know, when it's appropriate, uh, I'll, I'll fire it up and, and, and record it. Um, but it wasn't like 
how can I make an album so I can play with my toys? Kind of no, thing. yeah, definitely. No, the songs like, themselves are, are are great. It's it's there's certain elements though that you kind of hear these cool instruments come out and and you go, oh, that's a nice little touch, you know, in, in terms of production that I that I noticed. But you're, one of the things that is is really great with the album, uh, again, outside of the songs, is the production is just stellar. I mean, it's amazing, and um, I guess you did most of that yourself, right? How much? of your your expertise with your sonic reality company and 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 all of that kind of played into the the amazing sort of sound on the record well apart from uh stranded i mixed the album as well uh with the assistance of uh chris holmes who worked with us on dimension on um and recorded recorded dimension on and he helped me um get some of the mix editing together um but uh and then i did all the production um, Tom Lord Algae mixed Stranded. He's a world-renowned uh, mix engineer. Uh, mixes Coldplay and Dave Matthews Band and huge bands. And he's a friend of mine. He lives in Miami. And fortunately, uh, you know, we got a little bit of his time and expertise, and that was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, Sonic Reality. The interesting thing. I have a sound company called Sonic Reality. We sample instruments. Uh, for software companies like IK Multimedia and, and Yamaha and Roland, we've done it for years. Uh, a lot of keyboards have our sounds in them. And, and we've recorded every type of instrument, including a lot of famous musicians in their instruments, like Nick Mason from Pink Floyd, Neil Peart from Rush, Terry Bozio, Billy Cobham, um, along with the original engineers, like, let's say, Hugh Padgham, who uh, recorded Genesis and uh, The Police, um, Alan Parsons, who recorded Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, is, and Alan Parsons' project. Right, so right. we collaborate in Sonic Reality with all these greats, you know, the legends of, of, of recording and, and music uh, in that genre for classic rock. And, and uh, so I've obviously, they're, they're like my mentors um, and friends. So I, I, you know, I'll ask, I can ask Alan a question. I can be like, what did you use? What microphone did you use for, <laughs> for money? You know, whatever <laughs> it is. And it's like, it's great. Or Ken Scott who recorded the Beatles and everything. So they're, they're like mentors to me, which is luxurious, but they also write books and there's, there's DVDs you can get with them and other people can learn from them too. And of course, other musicians can buy these products as well that to have Nick Mason's drum sound in their music. So when I made this record, of course, I'm going to use these products because I know them better than anyone. So if I need a sitar, I know I can grab Sonic Synth and boom, I've got a, a sitar. I can pull up Sample Tank and I've got uh, Miroslav string sections and all that stuff. So of course, I utilize that in a very efficient way as a producer from years of studying individual instruments and sample libraries so I can actually kind of make a scalable budget record right. uh, sounding like I had a full orchestra when I would never have enough money to do that. Um, so I did that and then but there's a song called Solitude which features the uh, backing vocals from the Australian Pink Floyd which is a very popular Pink Floyd tribute band but the rhythm section or at least the um, the drums are technically Nick Mason from Pink Floyd, record as recorded by Alan Parsons, because I used Nick Mason drums by Sonic Reality, the product that features him actually playing and Alan Parsons recreating the sound using all the same equipment they did back in the 70s at Abbey Road to get that sound extracted out of the album and usable in any style of music, but definitely something suitable for, a uh, again, another 
sort of uh, tribute to Pink Floyd, that song, and especially Richard Wright, because it's kind of a great gig in the sky uh, nod, if you will, because right. it's female vocals. So yeah, so that's technically Nick Mason and drums. You can't really credit it that way. I can't, and the customers can't. You have to sort of say it like this is Nick Mason drums by Sonic Reality. But it is vir- like a virtual session with Nick Mason, which is amazing. Yeah, that's really cool stuff to to know going into the, how the making of this album came together because it really is a lot more than um, you know just you with two guys putting out a record. You know, there, there are a lot of special guests uh, on top of that that went into this, and I mean the list is like a prog who's who of you know legends almost. First of all, talk about some of the people that are on the record, and did you imagine? when you started it, that it would just keep expanding into this amazing list of people that offered to contribute. You know, it's funny. Um, with my other project, Sonic Elements, uh, which is more of a fantasy band by nature and a tribute, you know, we do covers. And again, those are based, those are specifically based around, let's say, the, the famous drummers that we record. So I'm doing a, a Rush tribute based around the you know album based around the tri- uh, the drums of Neil Peart performed by Neil and recorded by Nick Raskin-Lennox who's Rush's producer um, and so that's what that is and I thought for my solo record I'm not going to go all out with the Rolodex and start you know bringing in names because I don't want to also um, look like it's just about that and not about me or the song me as a solo artist in the songs I didn't want it to overshadow it so I was careful with it, um, but I, I normally am anyway. I'm more of like a director casting roles, like who would be perfect for this? Not just who can we get to make this look amazing with a list of names. Right. I never think that way because it's so, you know, I, I'm, bur- I'm kind of burnt on albums that, that I've seen like that. Like I don't even believe it. You know, I, th- I think a lot of people are kind of jaded. It's like you see a whole list of names, you're like, yeah, well, it's not like I'm going to listen to that and it's going to be as good as brain salad surgery or, you know, or close to the edge. It's probably just, you know, cool, that neat novelty that they're all on there, but not necessarily cast like, oh, my God, that's the perfect guy to sing that one. You know, so that's how I think. I think this part would be great to have Francis Dunnery shredding on the electric guitar if he would. Unfortunately, he's a good friend of mine, and even though he's more acoustic these days, I kind of coaxed him into getting back to his roots from It Bites and electric uh, guitar, Alan Holdsworth influence shredding and whatnot. So that's a taste of that. I uh, I'm friends with Steve Hackett, and and through working with him on his Genesis Revisited Two album, uh, he basically was kind enough to return the favor and. Uh, so to speak, in his terms, because it was obviously a privilege to do that in the first place. There was no favor needed, needing to be returned. But he offered to play on the record, and, and I had parts because I'm very much into him and Genesis. I've, I've, I've been very influenced by both. Uh, so there was a part, that, uh, several parts that were perfect for, for him, and he fit, uh, you know, like a glove. Uh, his, that- his parts are amazing uh, they stand out so well and you know right away it's him playing which is oh, I always love that about guitarists that that sort of have their own unique sound but you know right away when it's him on the, on the album yeah I agree and actually that's I would say that about most of the musicians if, if you know their sound and if you don't you at least know somebody is present with character and, and it shines through and I'm really proud of that because just just 
because it has my name on it doesn't mean this is a Dave Kersner ego fest where it's like, now I'm going to do a solo that's going to blow your mind. Right. It's me doing this and me doing that. It's like, no, no, no. I'm the songwriter. I'm the artist now. I'm the, the lead singer. I'm the front man. But, and the producer, but joining me is a colorful cl- cast of people from all over the world that are really good at their particular instrument, a particular style, and it fits with mine in this song or that song. Like, for instance, the title track, New World, I sing with David Longden from Big Big Train. And I love his voice, and he's a really cool person, really nice, very talented, and was so easy to work with and great. And it blends beautifully and uh, has kind of like an ELO-ish type of sound, and we're both really into it. So like that fit. And then, uh, uh, as I mentioned, Solitude with uh, the, those backing singers, Durga McBroom from Pink Floyd fit on several songs perfectly. Fernando Perdomo is the guitar player slash bass player who's on most of the record. And that gives it a consistency at the core. Because we, we speak the same language as far as, you know, we're both into the history of classic rock and prog. And he's even more of like a walking musical encyclopedia of like, you know, if you want to know like some obscure record, you know, and who was on it and all those details, he's that guy. Uh, kind of like Randy McStein. I love guys like that. Actually, they're they're really you know great utility musicians. They play everything, yeah. and they also know everything. You're like, oh yeah, the, the third Frank Zappa album, and you know, oh okay, cool. Um, you know, I know what I know, but they know everything. Right. So uh, so he was great to have as an anchor, and then Nick Di Virgilio on drums, who I used to play with in Kevin Gilbert's bands, Thud and Giraffe. Uh, was just great to work with him. I love his drumming. His style is just amazing, uh, you know, to me. It's, well, it's very Phil Collins influenced, but um, so I like that. He, he really gets it, though. He has the feel and he's tasty and he's played with Tears of Fears and all sorts, and Kevin and uh, Spock's Beard and all sorts of uh, great bands over the years. And he's just a seasoned player who just naturally fits with my music. Yeah, he's, so. he's an amazing musician all around. He shreds on guitar and, and everything. Yeah, I mean, he's good. unbelievable. So, I, you know, I surround myself with, <laughs> with great players, you know, who can execute things, um, especially remotely, because most of it was recorded in different places, like their own studio or wherever they were. And I needed to know, like, have an idea. Because, you know, if you book a studio in Vancouver or... Or Oregon, we booked you know a studio in both those places for Nick, but I knew what to expect from him. You know, whereas if I booked a studio somewhere and it was someone new and I wasn't there, that's really risky. You know, you don't have unlimited budget to just book studios to take a chance. Uh, so, and generally speaking, I learned from Stephen Wilson this because when I worked with him on Graves for Drowning, he said to me, he's like, I said do you want me to play on this? He kept sending me tracks and stuff while we were making Dimension Out. We were kind of trading back and forth saying, this is what I'm working on, this is what I'm working on. And he said, I said to him, I said, do you want me to play on any of this? <laughs> he hadn't actually said, like, I want you to play on this. He said, yeah, you can play on it. He said, sure, yeah, try some stuff. He said, as long as you don't mind if I don't use it. And I thought, fair enough. I'll right. take a crack at it. And I actually wish in retrospect that I I tried more. I just didn't have that much time. I was juggling things. But, you know, I played on Raider 2, and he didn't use all of it, uh, but he, you know, he used some of it, and uh, and then some of it I still uh, the extras I used on Dimension actually some of the sound effects I did, but um, but yeah, so so that's the philosophy I have is kind of like well, you know, do your part 
And if you're cool with taking some direction from me, great. And if you just want to do it and let me decide if I'm going to use it or what I'm going to use of it or not, then, you know, I mean, it's, it's my album. And if it was your album, we could, it could be the other way around. You know, I'll play and you can use it or not. And I think that's a great way to work uh, with people. And I was very, very fortunate that everyone's contributions literally was stellar was just the best of themselves for the song and very passionate and very well played and tasteful yeah yeah definitely i mean it's it's really it's it's great stuff it's a lot of fun to listen to you know i have a few favorite parts already that i sort of picked out that i that it really stand out for me the the like, middle of uh the lie that sort of melodic breakdown and uh, af- after the second chorus is just so cool and um and uh, really pretty the the middle kind of whoa whoa part in redemption, so it kind of where, where uh, yeah. that part is is just awesome. I was wondering now that you're now out there, you're putting your face on this, and you're, you're front man, and it's all about sort of your vision, and and you could you know now you take the criticisms or the or the praise or whatever it is. How how do you feel about that now? Being now it's it's about your your vision, your project, and and you have to sort of deal with that aspect of it. Well, knock on wood, fortunately, I've seen nothing but five-star reviews and praise so far. Uh, but, of course, uh, there's always – I don't think there's any artist who doesn't have both, you know, the critics and the praise. And I know, you know, there's certain things, like, for instance, how close I am to my influences that, you know, are asking to be criticized by those who aren't open-minded about that. I think there's more people that love – something that's familiar to them or nostalgic and yet also at least does offer something new and progresses. I, I'm confident that I've achieved that at least to my own standard and I have a high standard and I'm my biggest own biggest critic. So, uh, and, and ultimately I think as an artist you have to, uh, even though I'm, this is new for me being a solo artist, I've been in the music industry for a long time working with all sorts of, you know, from, from independent artists to some of the biggest artists in the world and you know, you have to be tough and you have to also just kind of maybe not not exactly believe either the praise or the the criticism. You need to just kind of take it with a grain of salt and go, well, this is fantastic. You know, it's what's more important, I think, is that you're reaching people, that you're moving them. That to me is a success. So I already feel like it's a success because I've heard people say that they've, you know, it helped them drive a long commute and it just made like the traffic disappear or you know that it um that someone was saying that their 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 mother had died and that it lifted their spirits it's things like that that matter right uh and so i've achieved that so far and even if that's all it did was the people i've heard from today and of course an album lives on to reach more people hopefully uh, but uh, even so far, I feel like it's a mission accomplished from that standpoint. And that, that's on the external thing. And uh, I would say in a lot of artists that I know, uh, like Francis Dunner, he agrees with me, we talked about this. It's really, it starts with pleasing yourself as an artist, like achieving your vision. Whatever it is, maybe no one is going to like it. But if you're, this is your vision and you feel like you've reached you know, the point of like, that's what I wanted to create, then that's the most important thing. I think by nature, if you line up with it, then people will. 
it just it just it's that's how it works yeah uh, your love for it translates to others loving it how many who knows you know it depends on the connection and you never know I had actually no idea how this would be received I had a little bit of a confidence boost I guess from dimension on just seeing how how many people just love that album and what they say about it and knowing inside whether they exactly realize who did what on it but knowing how much I wrote on the record and how involved in the production I was I thought well that's kind of like my test I think they like a lot of my style that was in that and that carries over with my other work plus all this other styles that I wouldn't have done with Sound of Contact and you know, losing things that I can't do, like I don't sound anything like Phil Collins, for example, right. uh, you know, and certain stuff like th- things like that. But but just carrying really my sound and expanding and pushing the envelope for my sound, uh, it was it was half like a little bit of confidence, but not overconfidence because let's face it, I mean, I you know, I've never sung lead on a track released to the public before. I mean, I've done it for years in my you know, my demos and my songwriting and everything, but I've never actually put it out there. So I right. had no idea how people were really going to take it, apart from putting up clips in the Kickstarter campaign. That was actually my test. No one said anything. Everyone was like, sounds good, Dave, you know, the thumbs up. And then finally it was like, okay, world, here it is. You know, it took me decades, but <laughs> I finally am presenting myself as the artist as opposed to being behind the scenes. Uh, where I've obviously been more comfortable, but I'm totally fine being the front man, and I, I actually enjoy the self-sufficient aspect of being a solo artist. So, so now that you've done that, and this album is out, and, and there's still a long process, I'm sure, of, of uh, maybe putting together some videos and other stuff that I know you've mentioned. What's um, what sort of the next plans as far as shows, or 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 are you already sort of uh, thinking about another album at some point? And what's the future? I have another band called Mantra Vega. That's right. Absolutely. And uh, this is a, a whole other angle because I have Heather Finley uh, as uh, a co-writer and uh, the main singer and I'm the secondary singer in that band, sort of like a Fleetwood Mac kind of situation, but prog, more progressive rock. And they're based in the UK with Dave Kilminster who plays with Roger Waters on guitar and some of the guys from Mostly Autumn. And um, we're going to be touring for sure next year uh, over in Europe, so and uh, we we also said that we would be playing um, my solo stuff, Heather's solo stuff, some songs we wrote from our previous bands, mostly Autumn and Sound of Contact, and of course the new Montre Vega record, which is coming out next year. That awesome. we're, we're planning uh, around spring to uh, to release the debut Montre Vega record, which I've also been working on. So, like when you say, "Are you thinking of the next record?" That's the next record of original music. And then beyond that, you know, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'd like to actually like to do a solo album uh, one a year, but we'll we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the way you take these on. That might be that might be asking a bit much, but I have a uh, full album written actually already. Uh, but I, I don't know when I'm going to release it. I've actually been working on it for about 20 years since I used to play with Kevin. Uh, so that'll be, maybe be my third release. Right. Well, I'm always thinking about another album, but uh, <clears throat> I need to reel that in a little. Yeah. I want to, uh, again, just congratulate you on the record. I, I feel sort of fortunate to, to have been there a little bit in the beginning when you were starting the process and, and spoke to you then. And actually, you were, I think, my second interview ever on the Prog Report, which is going, oh, cool. going back a ways. So 
Um, yeah, listen, I'm a big fan and uh, was a big fan of Sound of Contact and, and a big fan of, of the solo record. And uh, good luck. I, I wish you the best with it. And hopefully, uh, you know, we'll speak again soon. I'll see you around. All right. Take care. I'll bye. be in touch. Bye. Thanks again today for the interview. For more information and upcoming interviews, please check theprogreport.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks.